This is Paul Schneiderman today on the 48th edition of Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio. Today I have a very special guest, Ron Mix. Ron is a retired star football player, and he was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1979. Before I go further with this interview, Ron, I want to go through a couple of housekeeping things. We have a lot of good stuff going on at Rainier Avenue Radio today. My engineer today, James Gerd, is the host of After Dark. I want to mention there's a lot of good things going on at the Rainier Avenue Radio Sports Department. We're based in Seattle on the World Wide Web. We have shows hosted by Rick Dupree, Granville Emerson, and Ronald Laurent, Masvita Marari, Pat McCarthy, Juan Cotto, and Mike Cobrezi also host a show. Um, today there was a great Give Big campaign that Rainier Avenue Radio had. So go to RainierAvenueRadio.world to learn more about this great charitable effort. And I want to mention this to you, Ron, and listeners as well. We also have a blues show hosted by former NFL offensive lineman Edwin Bailey. So we, we have an offensive lineman, Ron, who also has a show at Rainier Avenue Radio. Um, back to Ron for a minute. Ron was inducted, as I mentioned earlier, in the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1979, a Hall of Fame offensive tackle, a member of the American Football League all-time team. The list of Ron's football accomplishments goes on and on. Ron's also a member of the International Jewish Sports Hall of Fame. The uh, also a member of the National Jewish Sports Hall of Fame, I believe, and he's known as one of the greatest Jewish football players in history. Ron has also been a civil rights activist, and he's a trained attorney. Ron, today we're going to have a conversation about your career. Definitely get into some football. Get your thoughts on some contemporary stuff. And uh, thank you for coming on uh, Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio, Ron. Are you kidding? Hardly anyone is. Uh, ever contact me to, 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 uh, to talk to an offensive lineman? So I got I got a lot of material. I, I, that surprises me. I mean, a Hall of Fame member usually gets contacted by many different uh, networks. And I want to thank my my first cousin Josh for getting us connected today, Ron. But I, I do appreciate coming on our Seattle based uh, station. I'm ready, Ron. Uh, you grew up in Hawthorne, California, in Los Angeles County. Why don't you just tell us a minute how you got the football bug as a youngster growing up? Well, it wasn't just a football bug. It was uh, in, in those days, um, uh, all the kids in, in our neighborhood, uh, all we did was play whatever sport existed during the season from the time we got home from school to uh, till even after dark if we could. If we could. And uh, I mean, I'm, I'm talking every sport. Uh, in those days, uh, they did not have anything such as Pop Warner or Little League or anything like that. So it was just neighborhood kids uh, getting together. And uh, uh, it, uh, I, I loved every one of them. Um, but football was the only one that I was really good at. Well, and it, it certainly catapulted into a, a great career. Well, I'm going to kind of touch the surface of your football career. Not going to get everything. We'll have we'll get into some fun subjects. So you're an All American lineman at USC, and I read that about ninety percent of the USC players were white Christians in that era. However, you, as a Jewish player and an African American player, Willie Wood became co-captains of the team. How did you and Willie manage to become co-captains? Uh, of that team when there was very few blacks or Jews on that team in that era? Oh, well, you know, it, it, the, the uh, athletics has always been at the forefront of, of uh, 
leadership in in uh, in, in social justice as far as bringing races and religions and people from different social economic backgrounds together. I mean, at USC, naturally, we recruit from every part of the country. We had Southerners, we had Easterners, we had Midwesterners. And in those days, remember, this was 1956 through 1959 when I was at USC. Um, in those days, there was a tremendous amount of uh, not only anti-Semitism in the country, but uh, anti-black in the country, except when we all got together to play sports. And then you're judged not by any prejudice you have to be carrying in because of being contaminated by, say, your family at the time. Uh, you judge people simply by their character and what they, their conduct is. And uh, uh, I and Willie Wood were co-captains of the USC team in 1959, uh, also at a time in, in USC history when uh, 99% of the fraternities wouldn't let either Willie or I join because of his being black and my being Jewish. But made no difference to our teammates. They were choosing the two people they thought would best lead them and had the best qualities and the best work ethic. And this sounds immodest, but they were so right, because Willie Wood and I both ended up in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Well, it's a great story. You two were selected as USC co-captains on air. I think that's a really interesting part, Ron, of your biography. So you had a great pro football career. You played for the San Diego Chargers, the AFL. You played for the Raiders for a couple years. And back in 1965, you were a white player who supported the African-American players who wanted to have the AFL All-Star Game move from New Orleans to Houston. And you stood up for those athletes. Tell us a little bit about that episode, Ron. Well, it was very, very interesting. The, uh, the All-Star Game was in New Orleans. Uh, we all arrived for the game. We were given a, uh, a, an itinerary of, of when we show up for practice. And uh, so that morning was to be our first practice, and we were forced to report to the a bus. And uh, the coach uh, was taking, uh, uh, what do you call it when... When, when you're taking roll, roll call, taking roll call and started calling out names like Buck Buchanan, no answer. Uh, uh, Earl Faison, no answer. Ernie Ladd, no answer. Paul Lowe, no answer. And the coach said, where all are, are all these guys? And somebody in the background said, uh, they're all meeting in the conference room. They're thinking about boycotting the game because of the way they've been treated here. Uh, so uh, I got off the bus to join them. I was the only white player to get off the bus and join the conference. And uh, they told me about what had gone on. Uh, they had the worst time at all getting uh, taxis from the airport. Uh, they were turned away from restaurant after restaurant. Uh, uh, three of them were turned away by gunpoint at a bar. Uh, and they were asked at the, at our hotel, asked to enter through, get this, through the back door. And, uh, um, they felt that they had to boycott the game to call attention to this because at this time, New Orleans was a segregated city. Right. So in any event, the game was moved to Houston. And the, the, the very interesting thing about this was 
was that uh, the New Orleans wanted an NFL franchise. And after all the attention that took place because of the boycott, uh, the uh, uh, New Orleans City Council voted to desegregate the city so they could apply for an NFL franchise. So a group of very bold black men, at a time, by the way, the civil rights movement was just barely in its infancy. And, uh, and, uh, and I'm sure these players were also feeling, are we jeopardizing our jobs? Because that was the attitude and the fear in those days. And yet they took this great stand. They desegregated a city, a bunch of football players. It's just, it's really amazing. Let me say this to the credit of the other white players, although they didn't join the meeting, uh, I didn't hear one person grouse about uh, having to move the game because uh, of the boycott. Great story, and the effects are really something, how it played a role in improving New Orleans. I read, Ron, that, that the late Jack Kemp, former football player and famous politician, supported the the cause? Yeah, but, uh, Jack was one of the ones who publicly stated he supported the cause. He might be one of the few Republicans I really like. Uh, although I did like first George Bush, uh, and I somewhat liked Ronald Reagan, but for the most part, for the most part, uh, I've been a Democrat all my life. But Jack was a trustworthy man. Uh, he talked about, uh, as a Republican, he talked about the, uh, the big tent, uh, and, and he was in it. I mean, he's somebody that, that uh, the public really could have trusted to to advance social justice on behalf of everybody. Well, not to get into my own personal politics, Ron, but I, I share uh, some of your thoughts. I think Jack Kemp definitely stood out as a, a pretty reasonable Republican and conservative. This is Paul Schneiderman, host of Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio with Pro Football Hall of Fame member Ron Mix. So, Ron, you're considered one of the greatest Jewish football players and athletes of all time. And there are stereotypes that people have about Jewish athletes. They've been coming up with Josh Rosen in the last couple of years. I don't know. Remember in the movie Airplane, there was that line about the passenger looking for light reading, and the flight attendant flight attendant said, well, here's a pamphlet on great Jewish athletes. So, Ron, when you hear people mention the stereotype about Jewish athletes, and some people in the Jewish community perpetuate the stereotype too, do you get angry? Do you laugh it off? What is the raw mix reaction when you hear people comment on stereotypes about Jewish athletes? Well, I'm not, I'm not certain that, that there is a stereotype on Jewish athletes. Again, uh, simply because we're athletes, uh, I, I, I think we've done away with any possible stereotypes that one exist, once existed about Jews. There's certainly a lot of uh, misconceived uh, and, and false things going on about Jews by uh, uh, a, a number of people and uh, in a number of regions, um, but uh, there are actually more Jewish uh, uh, professional football players than 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 you can imagine. And but you wouldn't know it by the names, for instance. Like my father came from Russia by himself at age thirteen, being sent over by the family because at that time in Russia, uh, uh, the uh, uh, the kids could not get educated beyond the eighth grade, and people could not own any property. I don't think Russia's changed much. In the 90s, about a million Jews immigrated from Russia because of, of all the anti-Semitism and 
in anti-Jewish action by the government. Uh, but at any rate, he came by himself, and uh, 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 and it's not it's unusual. He changed his name from Rabinowitz uh, to Mix, which was the name of the farmer uh, on, with whom he started working. That he had, his first job was in Georgia on a farm, and so if you just look at the name Ron Mix, would know it was Jewish. We had four Jews on my team when I played. And you wouldn't know it by the names. Ron Botchin, uh, a linebacker. Mike London, a linebacker. And Don Rogers, uh, a center. Uh, on, let's take the 49ers. Uh, uh, they had a couple of outstanding uh, Jewish players at the time. Uh, uh, and I forget, I think it was in the 80s, early 90s. I think it was the, the 80s. Um, Harris Barton, an all-pro tackle. And John Franken. And all pro end. Would you know it by looking at the names? No, you wouldn't. But the truth is, we make up a very small percentage of this country. You know, maybe maybe less than one percent. Very true. So, uh, so uh, we're probably we're probably fairly represented. Uh, um, but uh, there's no doubt that uh, that there are still stereotypes. You know, what's interesting is is that. Um, uh, because it's the, it, within the Jewish culture, the the emphasis is always upon education. As a group, uh, we've been very highly educated, and and because of prejudice, as as uh, as blacks have experienced, as in the early days, as the Irish have experienced, as as uh, as Mexicans experience even today, uh, it motivates the people to uh, work way beyond their capacities and to try to prove themselves. Um, uh, for instance, uh, the best example is, is um, during the Nixon administration, he opened up relationships with China. And uh, so a Chinese delegation came over for about a month's tour of the United States, meeting with the top government officials, the top military officials, the top educational officials, the top people in medicine, just uh, in research, everything you can imagine. When the trip was all over, uh, Kissinger asked the Prime Minister of China, he said, what uh, were you most impressed with about America? And the Prime Minister said, I had no idea there were so many Jews in America. He thought 50% of America was made up of Jews because because of the the achievements that were made. And yet with all of that, with all of that, respect for Jews really did not really begin until uh, the Jews established themselves as a separate state, and they won the, the, the war in 1948, and they won the Yom Kippur War, the, and the raid on Entebbe, and uh, suddenly uh, the reputation of Jews skyrocketed. I mean, I remember being like an elevator and hear people talk about about some treble spot in, in the world and some people say you know what we ought to do just hire the Israeli army to take care of it watch so it you there, own there, there's a special there's a finally when it all comes down to it we're just animals animals respect toughness and once the the state of Israel displayed all that toughness the respect for Jews skyrocketed 
Well, Ron, you gave such a fascinating analysis on my uh, question about stereotypes reflecting Jewish athletes. I think the listeners will really appreciate your point. There's actually a lot more Jewish football players than people realize. One of them happened to be my late grandfather, Harry Schneiderman, who led her at the University of Washington. But anyhow, I, I, uh, I think you gave a lot of good information there and very interesting. Paul Schneiderman, host of Sports and Stuff again on Rainier Avenue Radio with Pro Football Hall of Famer Ron Mix. Ron, real quickly, uh, you attended law school, I believe, in the evenings, and you became an attorney when you were playing football. Did any other athlete go to law school when he or she was playing professional sports? Are you aware of anybody else except for you, Ron, besides you? Oh, Oh, well, yes, yes. And, you know, and, and people say kind things and complimentary things about me attending law school while I was playing professional football. But the truth was, it was like in self-defense. I mean, in those days, we made such little money that you had to get ready to start your new job as soon as your career was over. And, you know, the football player's career might be over the next play. So right. Said no. So back then, the salaries were so low that uh, uh, guys either uh, worked in the off-season, I mean, literally worked at regular jobs, uh, or uh, they continued their education. Uh, I wasn't the only, uh, I, I was probably one of the only that went to law school while I was playing, I mean, during the season also, because the University of San Diego, very good law school, uh, that's just the way they were set up. Uh, uh, but... Uh, um, Another player uh, went to law school when his career was over with the charge. Another Jewish player, by the way, stereotype. Right, went yeah, right. Education right, yeah. first. Mike London, my teammate, became an attorney. Uh, one of uh, my teammates, uh, Bill Lankaitis, became a dentist. Uh, Don Rogers, uh, a, a, a Jewish athlete, uh, got his master's in business and became very successful. Uh, afterwards. Um, so uh, I, I wasn't the only one. Yeah, um, well, it's a, it's, a, it's another interesting part of your biography. Not too many professional athletes uh, attend graduate school while playing. So, Ron, um, I was just in the Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio, as I mentioned you off the air. I saw your, your great statute there and your recognition in, at the Canton Hall of Fame. And there's been some thinking among some football experts, that offensive linemen and some other position players, including kickers and punters, are not fairly represented in the Hall of Fame. What's your thought, Ron, on on offensive linemen in the Hall of Fame? Are enough being represented in uh, Canton? Probably not. I mean, I think I was only the fifth offensive lineman when I was inducted in 1979 to be inducted in the Hall of Fame. Look at... uh, uh, there's no evil intent in it. It's just that, that when you finally get down to it, the people who do the selecting, the media, uh, they're, they're sports fans. And, uh, and they, they look at what they, they, the players they think have the biggest impact on the game. It, it's true that quarterbacks have the biggest impact. I mean, they're the single most important position. I understand that. Um, uh, but the other positions, the other positions uh, uh, are, are, are being recognized more and more as important. Uh, the the, team, the smart teams are loading up on the big guys on both sides of the, the line of scrimmage, offense and defense. You got to have if you have that, you are a competitive football team. Sure, I know the great Al Davis, uh, uh, who uh, was the owner of the Oakland Raiders, deceased now. 
uh, when Al left her, the Charger team and became the owner general manager of the Oakland Raiders, the first thing he did was almost release every offensive lineman, defensive lineman the team had and bring in big boys. And he immediately made the team competitive. Uh, and um, um, at any rate, so um, there's, there's bigger issues to be worried about than whether or not uh, our various positions are being adequately represented by the Hall. The Hall does a, a, a great overall job. The Hall really has nothing to do with the selection. It's, it's, I think there's about 76 members of the media that handle that. And they come pretty close to getting things right when they do it. Well, Ron, I think my listeners will enjoy your little, excuse the quip, inside football perspective on on uh, how the Hall of Fame operates and their selection process. So real quickly, Ron, um, there was that famous book, The Blind Side by Michael Lewis. Of course, it became a movie with Sandra Bullock starring in it. Do you think the offensive lineman position is more on the map now and is getting more recognition? Do you kind of see it all as the pre-blindside era and the post-blindside era at all in terms of recognizing the offensive line position the way that maybe the average fan views it? Oh, I hate to see that movie came out because it diminished the reputation of a lot of us in this way. It talks about the left tackle, the left tackle, the importance of the left tackle. And when I played, uh, it was the right tackle that was the most important uh, offensive lineman because they put all the great defensive ends like uh, Deacon Jones and, and Bubba Smith and, and uh, Gino Marchetti on the, on, the, on the left side. So um, uh, if men are nothing, we're kind of we're shallow and prideful. And so... Uh, so when, if I'm introduced to somebody and the, the introducer says, uh, you know, Ron played professional football, the person says, oh, what position you play? I said, offensive tackle. And they say, oh, do you play the left side or the right side? Knowing they were judging me as to what kind of player I was if I, I based on that answer. Um, and so I quickly had to tell them in a defensive mode. I played the right side, but that was the most important side when I played. Sure. Sure. Is, that too, is that too shallow of me? Well, I, I like your nuanced answer on that, that, that maybe the blind side didn't maybe give the full perspective of the offensive line position. Is that kind of part of your thinking, Ron? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's no question that it, it – and uh, and all the football experts on the team, they, they appreciate it. I mean, the, the NFL staffs are very talented, great eye for talent, and – and they know what it, what is important, and you better have a good offensive and defensive line for sure. Well, if you just oh, too- by the way, you know, I was just thinking of uh, I was saying you talked about uh, Jewish football players. I was thinking of uh, I was thinking of Josh Rosen um, from UCLA, and 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 then with uh, Arizona. I think the New York Giants. If if anything irritated me about the draft, it wasn't. I thought my two teams, the Raiders and the Chargers, did very well. I like the Seattle Seahawks. I like the I like the New England Patriots because I'm a big fan of Robert Kraft. Um, but what irritated irritated me was the New York Giants draft. They were just so foolish. I mean, they could have gotten Josh Rosen for a second round draft choice. And the Giants still could have drafted two great defensive players. 
I mean, Josh Rosen and uh, is one of the the most gifted natural pastors that I've seen in college. Uh, I mean, right up there with John Elway and, and Dan Fouts and uh, uh, and 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 Luck from Indianapolis. I mean, those are the best four college pastors I've ever seen. And uh, and simply because he had a uh, a rookie season, big deal. Most quarterbacks have a bad rookie season, uh, and I, and I just I, I just think that he should be a New York Giants right now. Well, but he's not. He's going to do fine. He's going to be an outstanding quarterback. Let's see how he does the Dolphins. Yeah, I read on USA Today that the, I think their writer gave the Giants like an F in their 2019 draft selections, Ron. So you're not alone. Ron, real quickly. Josh is going to be the, the best Jewish quarterback since uh, my dear friend uh, Sid Luckman, who was a great quarterback for the Bears. Oh, yeah, famous name. Another Hall of Fame member like you. Ron, real quickly, uh, I, I believe you're a fan of Pete Carroll. You played at USC. Pete Carroll kind of left USC under some scrutiny. We only got like a minute or two left. Uh, you're, you're a big Pete Carroll fan, aren't you? Oh, big Pete. He, he brought football back to the University of Southern California, brought it to an exciting level, kept it great. And his uh, some people tried to sell his reputation because of the Reggie Bush situation, saying he should have known that Reggie was getting all these extra payments. And one of the big things they cited was, his parents were living in a $500,000 house. Man, at that time, uh, a cheap house in San Diego was was 500000 I mean, it was just ridiculous. They, they were living in, they were both, both parents were employed, and they lived in a essentially lower middle class area of, of San Diego called Lemon Grove. I mean, it was just, it was just so wrong. A, a coach cannot control what goes on if uh, an athlete decides to take bad payment, the coach just can't control it. Uh, and so I, uh, I'm, I've become a, a Seattle Seahawks fan also. Well, Pete Carroll's very popular up here, Ron. Well, Ron, we got like less than a minute left. What does the future hold for Ron Mix? Well, I'm, uh, I'm retired as an attorney. My son, uh, Charles is, uh, uh, not his law firm. He's, he's, they're doing the same kind of work I was doing. And, and that uh, my last 12 years, and that is representing retired professional athletes and claims for workers' compensation benefits. And it was, it's just, it was so much fun practicing law with him for a few years before he, he, he took over. It, uh, you can imagine if you're a parent, you know, how enjoyable that'd be. A lot of pride, I'm sure. Well, Ron, thank you so much for coming on Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio. Let's you and I stay in touch. Let's do it. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Ron.